All right, so if you have your Bibles, open to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start reading from verse 31. Please stand with me if you're able to. So we're trying to coincide today, of course, again with another outreach. So we're going to try to end this. My target is about 12, if not maybe around that time. We'll see. Let's start reading from Romans chapter 8. We're going to read from verse 31. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father in heaven, oh, we thank you for your holy word. Thank you for awesome passages like this in Romans chapter 8, where you want us to focus on your love that's given to us, and it's through Christ Jesus, who is our Lord, that there is nothing, there's no one, Nothing can separate us from your love. And your love for us is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So, Lord, as we come to this chapter that concludes the first half of this book that we call Romans, as we get into the next half from Romans chapter 9 and on, help us to dwell on, help us to meditate on these things, that it would permeate our hearts, that you would open up our understanding, Lord, that if... If anything, Lord, our takeaway today can simply be to remember once again that you love us. There's going to be nothing that will separate us from your love that is in Christ Jesus for us. Thank you for your love for us, that you love the world so much that you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus the Messiah, who died on the cross for our sins as Savior, who rose from the grave, And now you are our Lord. We're simply your servants. We ask that you would empower us to remember this, to understand this, and to be like Paul, where he says, it's the love of Christ that constrains me, that we'd be blown away, won over by your love. And your love, your grace, your mercy would bubble out, over, out of us. Your grace to touch a lost, hurt, and dying world. Use our lives, for we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You guys can have a seat if you would, please. So guys, as we finish Romans chapter 8, Paul teaches us again that nothing can separate us 
from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That is so awesome. Amen? Isn't that awesome to know? There is nothing. No created thing. Think about that. And I, I want that to settle in because many times the bummers that we go through in life could be someone or something else that is a created thing. Not that person, not those people. Nothing and no one can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. There's nothing. Just continue to trust in God and in God's Word. This is what he says. Nothing. So we learn that all of us, Gentiles as well as Jews, even as Gentiles, we can be saved. And nothing will separate us from the love of God. But the obvious question by the time you get to chapter 8 and you conclude with this, this huge teaching, this doctrine that there's nothing that's going to separate you from the love of God that's in Messiah Jesus, the obvious and logical question that the reader or listener would have is, wait a second, if your own chosen people, the Israelites, the Jews... If they were your promised people, how can you promise us, for right now in the church era, predominantly Gentiles, how can you promise that you're going to love us and you'll even in the New Testament never leave us nor forsake us? But yet, what about the Jews? Didn't you choose them? Aren't they your chosen people? Listen to my terminology. You'll hear this. Yes. They are. And the obvious and logical question is, what about the Jews? What did you do with them? Did you just kick them out? And then now you're saying, off with them, and now we're your number two? Is that the case? You're going to love me, and there's going to be nothing that separates us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. But what about the Jew? What about the nation of Israel? That's the obvious and logical question. What about God's promises to the nation of Israel? Didn't God give His promises to Israel? Not the Gentile Christian church. Weren't they to Israel? Yes. So many times, dozens and dozens of times throughout what you and I call the Old Testament, what the Jews today call the Tanakh. Genesis through what book? To Malachi, 39 books. Those are books that describe greatly Church is also included there, looking forward, but greatly promising and prophesying about God's promises to His chosen people, Israel. So after all, if God promises His love to us, and He'll never leave us nor forsake us, then what about His promises to other people? Can we trust Him? If it seems like the Jews aren't receiving Him, did He just cut them off? So what's important to note as we go through this is that, again, it's extremely important that you and I, as we study the Bible, we want to do things like aim for accuracy. And we want to study the text within its context. Okay, I'm going to say that again. You want to study the text within its context. Why? Because there's a lot of people who, they're also part of the body of Christ, who we'll take something like Romans chapter 9 where it mentions things like the doctrine of election. Have you guys ever heard of that? Who here has heard of the doctrine of election? And they take the text out of its context and they apply it not to national Israel, 
but to personal individual salvation. Uh-uh. Bad scholarship. Bad boy. Bad girl. You <laughs> cannot do that. So we want to aim for accuracy, but we want to be good scriptural students. Amen? You have to study the text within its context. So as such, when you get to chapter 8, we learn this huge statement that's found nowhere else in the Bible, but here, after learning how we can get saved and going through that trajectory, that path, you learn about God's love now. And there's nothing, nobody, no created thing, no angels, no fallen angels, nothing. Nobody can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. But we need to know that you get to chapter 9. Some people look at chapter 9 and go, maybe Paul took a detour. Maybe something happened differently. Because chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, they are about one main topic. Guess what that topic is? Israel. Not the Gentile Christian church. Principles can apply to us. But the obvious and the logical question after going through eight chapters now is, hey, wait a minute, you're promising me that nothing is going to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, but what about the Jew? Didn't God promise dozens and dozens of times in the Old Testament about his chosen people, Israel? Yes, he did. He has not forsaken Israel. So when Paul describes what called what's called election, Paul is teaching in Romans chapter 9 how God chose, God elected Israel and he's talking about the nation of Israel. Who was Israel before that name was changed? Jacob. So that's actually what's described. Jacob. By the way, what does Jacob mean again? Heel catcher, right? So when it trips up, a conniving kind of person. That's, uh, by the way, that's not only describing him, that describes us too. So <laughs> a lot of us were kind of like that before Christ Jesus changed us. So God elected Israel as a nation. That's the main teaching behind what we get at. And we'll get, probably next week, uh, we'll get into it a little more. We're going to slowly go through these chapters. But Romans chapters 9, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11 is about Israel. In general, Romans chapter 9, Israel in the past. In general, Romans chapter 10, Israel in the present. In general, Romans chapter 11, Israel in the future. Has God forsaken Israel? No. And that's the point of the passage. As you flow, study the text within its context. You don't want to take one verse out of its context. Okay, who is it? Someone said in apologetics, if you take a text out of its context, you have the pretext for heresy, okay, for man-made doctrine. And that's what's being done now. And so some might ask, Drew, are you becoming a Calvinist, a you know, Reformed theologian? Are you becoming a Presbyterian? No. I'm just being a Bible teacher. We want to be scriptural students. By the way, Calvary Chapel, we're not Presbyterian. We are non-denominational. Okay? Why? We, we don't want to put down others, but we do want to say we want to, we're not, definitely not perfect. We're messed up, mixed up family. In Christ, He's the one that completes us though. Amen? Okay. We do want to, we're not saying we're better because we're not, but we want to be biblical. Does that make sense? Biblical. Okay. And don't just believe what you hear and see. Test all things and you test it by and with and through what? The Bible. Okay. The scriptures. Search the scriptures. Acts 17 verse 11. Be a Berean. 
test all things. First Thessalonians. Okay, don't just believe someone because they quote it. And they take one verse out of this book, one verse out of that book, another verse out of that book, and you mix it together in a scriptural salad, and voila, you got man-made doctrine. And now you're following a man and no longer following Messiah. Does that happen today? Yeah, anybody know that happens today? That happens today, which is one of the many, many, many reasons why we are non-denominational. We don't follow the Pope. We don't follow a king. We follow King Jesus. Amen? So it's the Bible and Jesus. That's basically it. So God elected Israel as a nation. It's a passage in Romans 9 that teaches that God has elected the nation of Israel. So while we know that God does certainly choose a person for salvation, Romans 9, 10, 11 is not doctrine that speaks to that. That is missing the passage entirely. The point in this is if you see and study, this is why we must study and read the text within the context and study the entire book, not just one verse. Amen? Because when you see the flow, the obvious and logical question that the Gentile Christian, predominantly who receives this today, reads in Romans chapter 8 is, wait a second, if you're telling me God and me, we're never going to be separated, His love that's in Christ Jesus, we're never going to be separated, then what about the Jew? That's the obvious and logical question. Paul's brilliant. What God did. Really, God through Paul. Because he's answering, he's preempting that question and he answers that. Voila! Romans 9, 10, and 11. It's all about Israel. So Romans 9 through 11 is not teaching about God's electing certain individuals for salvation. That's not the point of the passage. Please understand that. And I'm going to say it again. Because some of you have others, the hyper-Calvinists, Reformed theologians, with big names and PhDs behind their name, preaching this stuff to you. It's not. Romans 9, 10, 11 is really horrible to quote for personal individual salvation. It's referring to how God elected Israel. Does that make sense? Hopefully we could drill that in. It's about God's chosen people. Why, why do you think it is that uh, there's a lot of Jewish type of ministries? One of them is called chosen people ministries. Why? Because there's a lot of like whole Presbyterian denominations and a lot of other so-called Christians that cut off Israel. Even go with the BDS movement. Anybody hear of the BDS movement? Boycott, divest, sanction? No? That's like a big move, really especially those on the political left side. Boycott Israel. Divest. Don't invest in any of their banks or companies. Um, sanction Israel. And there's a lot of Christians that... Is, there's entire denominations, Christian denominations that are falling in line, like a lot of Presbyterians, some Presbyterian denominations that are Christian who want to replace the church or replace Israel with what? The Gentile church. That's a no-no. You can't do that in the Bible. So what's called replacement theology, anybody here of replacement theology, is somewhat synonymous with reformed theology. We're definitely not reformed. And I, I... don't want to make light or too much of a joke of this, but God does not want a reformation. He wants a transformation. You find that in Romans 12. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Okay, His, his way of dealing with us, God's way, is not to reform you, but to transform you from the inside out. Okay, You don't need a reformation. You need a transformation. It's not something man-made that you do with your will or your work. Now, I'm going to get a whole bunch of hate mail by my Reformed and Calvinist friends. And I have a bunch. 
No. <laughs> okay? I'm not, this is not up for debate. This is not to get out there and stir up a doctrinal debate or fight. We're simply teaching through the Bible. Okay? And when you get to Romans chapter 9, please understand again, Romans 9, 10, and 11 is not teaching about God's electing certain individuals for salvation. Yes, those are passages found elsewhere and so on and so forth. But a lot of Calvinists, like not just Calvinists, hyper-Calvinists, and, and those are like way out there wacky. Like they want to fight. And Romans 9 is their proof text. That's like, I, I just, read your Bibles, I'll tell them. Yes, I have. And do you know that God elects? Yes. But that's not what it's saying. And they, they once you're poisoned with that thought, you, a lot of times you can't, tell them that God still has a plan for Israel. Okay? And this is what Romans 9, 10, 11 are about. Alright. We'll get off that. So Romans 9 through 11 teaches about how God elected and how God chose the nation of Israel. Again, Romans chapter 9 that we're going to get into teaches really about Israel's past in general. Romans chapter 10, Israel's present. Romans chapter 11, Israel in the future. Okay, so to take that term election away from the Jewish nation of Israel and to apply this to a person's individual salvation, we're talking Romans 9, okay, Romans 9, 10, 11, is also, let's just say, number one, very bad scholarship. I don't care how many PhDs and titles and, and whatever someone has after their name, that's bad scholarship. And number two, is taking God's text out of its context to fit man-made teachings. That's a no-no, at least a heresy. It's also misunderstanding God's message here in Romans 9. And while if we did that, that might be a Reformed theology or a Calvinist person's dream, because many of them think, oh, Romans 9, that's my proof text. Ha-ha, voila. Well, read the text within this context. It's not one of the proof passages that speak about a person's personal individual salvation. God is talking about the nation of Israel not the Gentile church. So if we do that, the Bible student is forced to embrace bad scholarship and we don't want to break the rules of biblical interpretation. Okay, let's, we won't go there. <laughs> now, with that stated, let's start getting into Romans chapter 9. You're probably like, okay. <laughs> All right, just want to state that. Romans 9, verse 1. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Verse 4, who are what? Israelites. So now he's introducing this topic, this thought of Israel. Who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption. Okay, so the adoption. The Israelites were adopted by God. So like a father, he chose them out of all the nations to be a special people unto himself. If you just take a casual reading, simple reading from Genesis all the way to the end of the Tanakh or the Old Testament as we call it today, you can see that God chose for himself a special people. I'm, I'm a mutt. I'm partial Japanese. My last name is Japanese. People ask me at a workplace, like, what are you? Like, look at my arm. How many Asians do you see with hair on their arms, right? Filipinos don't have that. You know, Japanese, Chinese, Vietnamese, uh, they don't have that. I'm, I'm a mutt. He didn't take the nation of Japan or the Philippines or any other nation. 
Mexico. <laughs> he didn't take them. He got the nation of Israel. So he adopted them. It mentions adoption. Whom pertain the adoption? It says the glory. Now the Shekinah glory, as we call it, of God, as it's called, it manifested itself. He manifested his presence. Remember this church, we talk and teach quite a bit about the tabernacle. My One of my personal things, my favorite personal things to study in the Old Testament. Exodus 25 to 40, it's all about the tabernacle. Okay, The second half of that book. And then for the rest of the Bible, uh, especially Old Testament, you learn a lot about the tabernacle and the temples. Well, Leviticus chapter 16 teaches about something called Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. That one day, one person, who's that one person? On the Day of Atonement. Who did all the work? The high priest, which is a picture of who? Yeshua, our great high priest. On that one day, the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, he gets sent into one place. And what place is that? The most holy place. Holy of holies. Of all holy places, this is the most holy place. So what would happen? Well, God is describing in Exodus 25 this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark sat something. What was that called? The mercy seat. When God's describing to Moses in Exodus 25, from there I'll meet with you above the mercy seat between the two cherubim. I will meet with you. Great picture of God meeting with man, not in the box, not according to law, but in mercy. You want to meet with God in mercy, amen? You don't want, you don't want to meet with God in law, do you? <laughs> no, you can't. The great picture of Jesus was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. The keeper. Ark is a keeper, a holder. He's the only one that kept the law. Get it? So it's a great picture about Jesus Christ who kept the law. You don't want to meet with God in law. <laughs> the only one that kept the law was who? Yeshua or Jesus. You want to meet with Him in mercy. Oh Lord, I make mistakes all the time. You forgive me through the blood of Jesus. Ah, thank you Father. So the Shekinah glory, the glory of God, the weightiness, the heaviness, the visible manifestation of God's presence would be there when the high priest would sprinkle the blood on top of the mercy seat, which sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. And that one high priest would go into that one place, the Holy of Holies, on that one day of the year. He wasn't asked to, he was commanded. So I love studying that. And I'll, I love talking with Jews. Uh, you might want to talk with Jews. Around New York City, there's tons of them. Uh, we go to the dentist, and we you know, meet with some Orthodox Jews. I love talking with them. I'll talk to my dentist about the red heifer. He's, oh, Mr. Sagawa, the temple guy. I'll talk to him. He's like, he studied these things. I, I told him, I wish I would have gone to Hebrew school growing up. He's like, why are you so interested in this? I tell him, oh, I love studying Torah. And I study your people. My people, <laughs> Japanese people, they're not in there. But your people are. And the, the Bible talks about provoking to jealousy. So I go there and he wants an update about, like, what's going on with the red heifer in Israel? <laughs> so we did a video on that. I did a video and I shared that with them. Like, read this. I want, you know, pray, pray for how God might use you and I to reach people. Over here in the greater New York area, there's a ton of Jews. And all of them think that they're going to be holy or righteous with God. Most of them are trying to do good works to weigh out the good versus the bad. It's a works-based system. Today's modern Judaism is like everything else. Atheism, agnosticism, everything else is a false religion next to born-again Christianity 
according to the Bible. And everybody's going to try to do good works, try to appease God or be in good standing, in right standing, or attain righteousness with God by being a good person or doing good things and weighing it out good versus bad. Versus Jesus, (laughs) who is the only good one, as our great high priest, but as our sin sacrifice, died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave. And all we could do is believe and receive and repent from our sins. Amen? That's it. So may God use you to reach other people. But the Israelites, they had the glory of God. It it would have been a weird thing to be the nations watching them going, who are these people? What's that silly thing they're carrying around? And when they set up camp and they set up this tent, what is that thing? That thing's ugly. It would have looked, by earthly standards, uh, dare I say, ugly. I mean, that's just a English word we use. But it's also the tabernacle itself with its furnishings on the inside and with the way it would have looked like on the inside with angels sewn in. There's a picture of angels are watching. You would not see that if you're on the outside. You would see animal skin covering, just like a tent. You see animal skins. And others will look at that as they're hauling that around in the wilderness, wandering for how long? Forty years. Other nations would go, that's so stupid. What are they, what are they doing? <laughs> it's a picture too of Jesus Christ that other people look at that and go, that's ugly. That's silly. Oh, but the priests that serve the Lord, they would go on the inside. It'd be beautifully, I'd imagine, quiet. And you, the only artificial light source would be the, the golden lampstand. Right? We have like a picture of it here. It stood about the height of a man. Solid gold. This is supposedly hard for us to make today with solid gold because these would bend. Seven branches. But this is a picture, uh, the Jews would call this, some would say, the light of the world. It's a symbol of Israel. Still is, isn't it? The menorah or seven branch. Not the one for Hanukkah. The seven branch golden lampstand. You'll find this described when the tabernacles mentioned. So as the priest would go in, it would be beautifully quiet inside. And the only artificial light source was from the golden lampstand. The light of the world. Remember Jesus says about himself, I am the light of the world. And remember what he also says about his followers, including you and I, you are the light of the world. It's a great picture of him, but also through the light of Jesus Christ, empowered by the oil, so to speak, which is a symbol of what? The Holy Spirit. That you are to be a light to the world. Literally in the Old Testament time, like in, 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 uh, Isaiah and elsewhere, it's that Israel was to be a light to the world. Israel was to be a light to the Gentiles. And what happened? They failed. Okay. It's like, no, 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 this is my God. You Gentiles, you, you're meant to live and die and fuel the fires of hell. That's kind of the thought there. But through Christ Jesus, He came to correct these things and to change them. He made a, as we call a new covenant. So the glory, the Shekinah glory of God, as it's called, would manifest God's presence from within this thing called the tabernacle on that one day a year where it would be like a, a physical presence, a weightiness, a heaviness. They'd be able to have that. Nobody else in the world had that. The Israelites did. And this is what he's mentioning here. They had the glory. They had the covenants. It says, going back to uh, verse 
for? The covenants. The covenants. Things like the Abrahamic covenant. You guys remember what that is? What's the Abrahamic covenant? You girls may not care so much. Us guys will go, ooh. The covenant of what? Circumcision. Snip, snip. Ooh. <laughs> the wives would be like, yes, let's do that. Let's join in. The guys are like, uh, let's talk about this a little bit. <laughs> That's the Abrahamic covenant. That was given to the Jews, not the Gentiles. It says the giving of the law. The giving of the law. Torah, as we call it, which has not just Ten Commandments, but how many laws? 613. That's crazy, right? Who wants to live according to that? You can't. We break all of them, all the time. So the giving of the law, the Torah, including the Ten Commandments of Exodus 20, was that given to Gentiles? Was that given to any other nation? No. It was given to Israel. And it says the service of God. The service of God. At the time, you look at the, what we call the Old Testament, the only nation that was allowed to serve God, not the Philistines, not the Amalekites, not the, all the nations that we see in the past or even the present, the only nation was which one? Israel. And within the tribes of Israel, which tribe was allowed to serve God? The Levites. One out of twelve. Okay? So only the Levites. <clears throat> and within the Levitical tribe, which family were the priests? Aaron. So you've got which you know, sometimes we'll show like the, the schematic. It's kinda neat to see the lineage. All twelve tribes. Think about every nation, no other nation but Israel. Got to serve God. And of all tribes, the only tribe that was allowed to serve God was which tribe? The Levites. And within that tribe, which family again were the priests? Aaron. Okay. So only, this is the Aaronic, not, Air, not speaking of Air, Aaronic. It's kind of hard to pronounce that. A-A-R-O-N-I-C. The Aaronic priesthood. Only from the tribe of Levi and the family of Aaron, those were the priests. Okay, and the high priest was supposed to come out of that tribe and that family. So the service of God. The Jews alone were allowed to serve God. Only through the tribe of Levi and the family of Aaron. And it mentions the promises. You see, so this is the problem that we have, is that by studying Romans chapter 8, we learn that there's a promise that there's going to be nothing that separates you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And by the time that person gets to just a couple of verses later, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> if you gave promises to Israel, how do I remember this promise in, in Romans 8 that you're going to keep that promise with me? So the promises, God promised over and over throughout the entire Old Testament that He would be their God and the Israelites were God's chosen people. He gave that to the nation Israel, not to the Japanese, not to any other nation, not to whatever nation most of you and I are from, but to Israel. Okay, They were God's chosen people. And verse 5 says, Of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. Christ came out of which nation? Israel. He wasn't Japanese, he wasn't Mexicano, wasn't Puerto Rican, wasn't Philippine. 
came out of Israel. <laughs> no other nation. Okay, Christ came, and notice it says, who is over all. Who is over all? Christ Jesus. Notice what else it says. This is something to take home, to know. Romans 9 verse 5, the famous, one of the famous proof passages of the deity of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus is God. Not the Mormon Jesus, not the Jehovah's Witness Jesus, who was born a man and worked his way to becoming God. That's, they fault in, and they err in the genesis of their Jesus. Okay? And many do, not just them. But this Jesus, it says he's overall and it says, the eternally blessed God. What is it saying about Jesus Christ? He's the eternally blessed God. Amen. I think we should probably, just because of time, we're probably going to have to pause at this point in time. The eternally blessed God. So, just know that so far, and I'm going to share this on the screen here. <clears throat> so far, after eight chapters in Romans after discovering that even we as Gentiles can be forgiven our sins through Christ Jesus, and remember some of the many doctrines we learned throughout the first eight chapters, the first half of Romans, we learn that we've been justified of our sins. It's justified, never sinned. We've been forgiven, but it's just as if I'd never sinned. It goes beyond just forgiveness. And in chapter 8, we learn nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But after these glorious promises to you and I, now the person reading Romans will say, but what about the Jew? That doesn't make sense. And this is the strategic reason, the logical reason, why God had Paul put this in for Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. What about the Jews? Aren't they God's chosen people? Yes. And didn't God say in passages like this, you'll see it on the screen in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 and on, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. He's not speaking about Gentiles. He's not speaking about whatever, fill in the gaps about any nation you're thinking of. This is in Torah. This was the Torah, the law was given to the Jews, to Israel. Your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That's Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8. So simply put, the question is, after God says these things about Israel throughout the entire Old Testament, if the Jews had God's promises and if Israel was God's elect and the Jews are God's chosen people, and yet God also gives His promises to Gentiles like us, who, I mean, come on, we don't even have to keep Torah, we don't have to keep Sabbath, you don't have to do any of this. Well, if God gives us the love that comes from Him that's in Christ Jesus, then what about Israel? Again, this is why we're going to be studying because the question in the flow of Romans, when we study it contextually, is what about Israel? So from the next couple of weeks or so, 
we'll be looking at this about God's plan for Israel in these last days. So can we get set up to do a closing song here? That be okay? All right. <laughs> a different closing song. So we're going to have a, a closing song here. We'll transition during this time. <clears throat> can we all stand, please? Turn on the mic here for you. I'll leave this for you. So I want to encourage you to keep coming in. Please keep coming in week after week, especially as we study through and learn the context of the flow of this book. And we want to be able to continue to do outreaches too, amen, to reach out to people. So please keep coming on in. So Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for what you are showing us throughout the flow of the context of this book that we call Romans, that nothing is going to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But we also learn, Lord, that... You do have a place for Israel. That the Gentile Christian church did not replace Israel. It would be heresy. It would be bad. It would be wrong. And completely unbiblical for us to believe that. Help us to simply read your word and to believe what it says. But open up our understanding. Open up our hearts and minds. That we can simply read your word. We'd obey your commands, that we'd reach out and make disciples. And help us today, Lord, as we want to reach out here on Metropolitan Avenue to the hundreds that will be driving and walking by. Help us to be used by you, Lord. Empower us, equip us. Lord, use us today for those that will be staying to do outreach. Help us to represent you. Protect each of us, God. Give us the words to say to people. Help us to simply give them your love through practical ways, through prayer, through encouragement. Guard our hearts. Soften the hearts of those that will come across. And equip us, Lord, to represent you. For we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.